Today, we are going to talk about the Seattle Kraken draft. We're going to talk about the Mariners, and it's probably about time for us to to be out on them, sadly. And then we'll get into a little college basketball. Um, I'm your host, Tyler Cartwright, joined as always by my co-host, John Carey. This is the Sound Up Seattle podcast, and here is Coyote Picnic. about the Kraken and, and what we've seen from them out of the first seven rounds of the draft. We're mostly going to focus on the first two. Um, yeah, you know, much like any sport, the uh, potential value added to the team decreases exponentially with the round that you're drafting in. And we're pretty new to this whole hockey thing, so we're not going to get too over our skis talking about the depth of the draft. But why don't you just, for the listener's benefit, kind of lay out uh, where the Kraken picked at each round and who we took. Yeah, so in round one, uh, 20, the 20th overall pick was Edward Salah uh, from the Czech Republic, uh, a left wing. Uh, he played, uh, where is it? He played for the Czech Republic uh, World Juniors team last year, and, fin- and that team finished second in that tournament behind Canada. So a nice you know, guy who's played in big games, and at least for the for the junior team, but he's played in big games and has been involved. Um, round two, we've got a 50th overall pick. That was Carson Rakoff. He's a he's a left wing um, out of the Ontario Hockey League. Uh, 52nd pick, we had Oscar Molgard, a center out of uh, Sweden. And then the 57th pick was Lukas Dragicevic. Nailed that one. Oh, out of the <laughs> defensive defenseman out of the uh, Tri Cities. Note that Tri City. Uh, I went ahead and let Tyler name the draft pick. <laughs> um, yeah, good attempt there. Um, okay, so yeah, and obviously they had a couple more picks, but those are the ones we're going to focus on. Um, interesting note, first two picks, both left wing. On our podcast a couple weeks ago, we were talking about team needs, and we noted right and left wings. The right wing was kind of uh, dependent on Everly's status because he's a free agent, um, and the left wing was just pretty shallow um so i think that says two things one congrats to us we're geniuses we know what we're doing come back for this content you're not going to find it anywhere else um but we were right yeah and we talked about it too i'm looking at the cracking death chart right now and Jaden schwartz is our our uh, first line left wing and we like jason schwartz a lot but he's probably our weakest starting uh guy in terms of offense it's schwartz everly and veneers as our uh, first line, and, you know, sorry, dude, you're not the Nears or Everly. Um, and then second second line is Ellie Tolovin, and third line is Brandon Tanev with Andre Burkovsky behind him. Tolvanen, you had good things to say about. I don't really remember Tolvanen or Tanev doing anything significant during their postseason run. You said you remember some good Tanev moments. But when you compare that to our second and third centers and right wings, who are, you know, McCann and Bjorkstrand at right wing, and then Wenberg and Gord at center, I really like our three line centers and right wings. I kind of only like our first line left wing. So they take their first two picks, 
and they draft two left wings. I would love to see at least one of those guys slot in to one of the starting lines right away. That's that's pretty hot take. Uh, most of these guys are pretty young. Um, it's, ho- I, it's hockey. Get them out there. Young blood. <laughs> I would say uh, Rekov, the the fiftieth pick in the fur. I guess our first pick in the second round was uh, he's a little bit more of a seasoned scorer in his uh, in his time. I believe, let me pull that back up. But, I can't believe you're about to give stats. Money. Wait, no, no, fiftieth pick. Is not the guy from the Czech Republic. That was our first. Our no, first, that was our first. first I'll get into him in a second. But I think uh, Rekov had he. So in 68 games this past season, he had 59 points, so 30 goals That's and 29 assists. Really, really good. Really good. He's like I said, he's a scorer. Um, and I think what's it, Carson Salah? It's it looks like Sale Salah because it's Czech. <laughs> Czech, please. Um, he was. He's more of like a. I guess let him let him marinate, like put him put him in the on the team, kind of like back okay. back of the rotation guy, and let him kind of catch up to speed. And the fact that he was the first round pick would make me assume that he's got some some build, some athleticism, or some flashes that have the team excited. Exactly, he's a pretty talented guy, like pure pure talent. You're drafting this guy kind of in the lottery, where you're thinking that oh, this guy could transition into something better. Let him develop. Yep, exactly. Okay, so you think it's more likely, I'm sorry again, not Salah, but who was our second round pick? Rekov. Rekov. First name? Carson. Carson Rekov. I'm just trying to get you to say all these names. <laughs> uh, he is more likely to maybe slot in right away. That's what it sounds like. Okay. I'd love to see him in that second line. I'd love to see it. I think he might slot into that fourth line because as long as we still have Tolvanen and Tanev, I think they're... Just you know, more veterans, more have been in the league a little longer. Team. Ah, we'll see. Um, but he definitely has a has a chance to make the team. You know, over these next couple months, we'll see what he what he's made of. Yeah. Yes, indeed. Um, yeah, and another thing I was going to say that's encouraging about this, and maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but the fact that in the entire draft you listed all their picks earlier, and you said you know left wings, centers, and like one defenseman and a goalie. I think were all seven picks. Um, the fact that not a single right-wing player was drafted makes me pretty confident they're going to bring Everly back. That has not happened as of yet, but uh, you know, you'd think that if they were going to let one of their best players walk, they would want to fill that position in the draft. Uh, I would say I would correct you. They picked a right-wing in the seventh round, so not a necessarily a that's premier the Everly. pick. <laughs> that's the Everly replacement there. Okay, fair enough, fair enough, but point stands. Um Anything else you want to say outside of talking about the specific players? Uh, yeah, we could get into a little bit about kind of how they drafted, what we, what we could maybe see out of that 52nd and 57th pick. Um, so the 52nd pick was a center. His name's Oscar Molgard. 57th pick. Second, 52nd. We picked 50 and 52? We picked 50, 52, and 57. Goodness gracious. Okay, yeah. sorry, yeah. sorry. So the third pick was a center. Yes, um, and he's a very young, he's from Denmark, I believe, but he played for Sweden. Um, and he's, he's a really good, uh, he's really good for his age. I think he's pretty young. He played on the, what is it? The HV71's junior 20 team, so 20 and below, basically. Um, and in 21 games, he had 23 points, which was six goals and 17 assists, which is good, good numbers, good for a center to have more assists. You want and, that you know, dis- distribution. Just like the nearest, yeah. Um, but I would say, so he, that was in his on the Junior 20 team. In his 41 games for the actual HV71 Sweden team, he only had four goals and three assists. So he didn't get much playing time, 
as you would imagine. Super high quality opponents. So yeah, thinking he's pretty young, going to mature into the position. I think yeah, and, and I think those stats are a little deceptive because what it was is he probably just wasn't playing. That's true as well. When you are 19 on like your country's team in yeah. hockey, unless you are a savant. You're probably not getting a lot of time on the ice. But I think that's a good pick. You know, we have a great young starting center in Veneers. And then I really like Wenberg and Gord. Both of those guys had huge moments for us in our Stanley Cup push this last year. Um, so, yeah. But we are shallow at the position. Behind Gord, we have Ryan Donato as a fourth guy, and that is it. Yeah. So to get a little depth in there, and particularly get depth that's young and talented and let it grow, fantastic. Love to see it. Yeah, one thing that I'm noting is I'm looking at our roster, and you haven't mentioned Jared McCann, have you? Is yeah, he's he, our second. He's, he's our, our second, second string center. Second right wing. He second right, right wing. wing. Oh, okay, gotcha. It says center on the uh, on the the website that I'm looking at, so I'm a little either CBS little or, or you are wrong. <laughs> it says it on CBS, but anyways, yeah, McCann is obviously our our leading scorer from last year, and we're hoping that he can return to form and provide a lot of goals for us. And so in that regard, our right wing spot should be should be decent, especially if we get Everly back. Everly back. Correct. Yeah, and that's why, as noted, we didn't draft many right wings. Because yep. we have Everly McCann and Bjorkstrand. Bjorkstrand. He was big in the playoffs. I have a man crush on Bjorkstrand, I'll tell you <laughs> what. That guy is super good. And then behind them, we have Morgan Geeky, Daniel Sprong, and Jonas Donskoy, which is how you pronounce this strange name with confidence. Um... <laughs> So, you know, I'm not sure how quality those guys are behind Bjorkstrand, but at least we have bodies. We're obviously filling the positions where we're a little more shallow. Mm-hmm. Um, we were talking a little bit about, you know, our offense was good, and we were talking about how we were kind of missing that star punch, but that we were deep. But our defense struggled. We were very on and off, often too reliant um, on our goalkeeper, Grubauer. Um and we were hoping in the draft they might address the defense first and foremost and kind of build off that side of the ice. It seems like a lot of the best teams in hockey, I guess the Golden Knights are like, they're pretty offense heavy, but a lot of the best teams, you know, the Avalanche and the Stars, both of our opponents in the Stanley Cup playoff, um, were both built from the defense forward. And, you know, I was a little jealous watching them sometimes, you know, and... I think we were both a little disappointed to not draft a defenseman in the top three picks. Um, do you have any thoughts on that? Um, I would say no. I didn't look at the other picks that other teams had, to be honest. We were just, just looking at the Kraken. Uh, but maybe we talked about when we recorded that pod, uh, there were three defensemen kind of hovering in that 20-ish range. Mm. And they might have just all t- gotten picked before before we could snag them. Sure. Um, I, you, know, I, you have to draft talent. It's also possible defensemen don't get drafted the way that offensive players do because it might be harder harder to spot that natural talent at a younger age. Yeah. Um, now we are really getting over our skis. I have no idea how easy it is to scout defensive hockey players. But, um, yeah, I hope we address it in free agency then because uh, I did not always love what I was seeing out of our defensive players. I think something to note, so that fourth pick at 57, we drafted a defenseman um, out of the Tri-Cities, local guy. Um, He played for the Tri-City Americans, and in 68 games for them last year, he had 75 points, which were 15 goals and 60 assists. That's pretty impressive for a defenseman. Yeah. I do like to see that, but 
it's kind of going against what we were thinking, which is it feels like he's more of like a like an assist heavy little offensive helper on the, as on the defensive side. Well, and that's typically how defensemen are when they play offense because they're coming up behind yeah. the offense and then shooting it down to the wings. Um, so that doesn't necessarily surprise me in terms of the statistics. It is a significant amount. He was obviously very involved with the offense to put up those kinds of numbers. But um, I'm going to expose my ignorance here. I don't know a single defensive stat in hockey. I have no clue. Deflections, maybe? Blocks. Blocks. Block shots, yeah. Steals of some variety. I don't know what you'd call it. Probably not steals, but um, when you secure the puck from an opponent. Um, I don't know any of them, and I don't know how to judge them. I don't know what's good. I don't know what's bad. I'm, I'm getting better at goals and assists and what constitutes a good and a bad margin. But, uh, yeah, I wouldn't know how to identify a good defender if you put him in front of me. But that what the, that's what the front office is for. <laughs> good thing they're not having me make these decisions. I would love to get a little more defensive talent. Because the one thing I am sure about is we do not have an elite defense. Uh, yeah, I agree. I think... That's something that you and I will develop over probably this next year. Is great defense. We watch the Kraken. Yeah, we're going to be really good at defense. <laughs> um, no, we'll learn how to evaluate defense a little bit better. We'll see who's performing well, what makes a player perform well, because I don't think the statistics are as behind hockey as they are compared to, say, baseball or something sure. like that. Sure. Even, even in the NFL, grading defense is always hard. Yeah. It's honestly probably easiest in the NBA because blocks and steals happen enough that uh, you can really just look at that. But even, like... We had our podcast last week, and I was pulling up, like, Richard Sherman statistics, and it's hard to make, like, 18 interceptions sound impressive, even if it's otherworldly, you know? Yeah. I think something to elaborate on with that is just, like, in sports, like, defensive metrics in the MLB are pretty poor still, mm. just because, like, it's you can't evaluate, like, it's harder to evaluate jumps to the ball and just, like, Yeah, how often metrics. is it just out of reach? Like, you can't get there, you yeah. know? This, the, the ball path is, you know, you can't track that for every single play, for every single That's just, like, too, too much information to put into the defensive metrics. Yeah, and hockey is probably a little similar in that way. It's probably more advanced statistics, such as, like, how much does an opposing offense either raise or lower their, you know, offensive rating when you're on the ice, that sort that's, of thing. Yeah, exactly what I'm thinking. Kind of like the DVOA in football. Exactly, exactly. So, but... We don't know. <laughs> we'll, we'll figure it out. We will it figure might just it out. turn into like a plus minus thing. And exactly. And over the course of the season, we'll see. This is what the listeners are here for. They're, they're trying to figure this all out with us. There are some people out there saying, huh, that's a good thought. Um, and that's what, that's what we're all about. Um, anyway, I, that might be enough on the draft. I'm not sure I have much more to say on the Kraken. Do you have any, any closing remarks? Uh, did I say our – I think I told you before we started. But let me just tell the people – just the order of positions that we've picked through seven rounds. Please. We picked left wing, left wing, center, defenseman, center, no, sorry, center, defenseman, defenseman, center, defenseman, goalie, center, and then a right wing in the last pick. Wow, so we had significantly more than seven picks. Yes. Oh, yeah. We had, what is that, four, ten. Okay. I was doing the math in my head and was getting a little confused. Um, interesting. So... We were we did make a run on defensemen there in those middle to late rounds. Um, left wing priority, center priority. little depth that goalie is always nice. I'm not sure that person's going to stick on the actual roster when things roll around. Obviously, we love Grubauer. Um, 
I'm not sure how many people know this. I didn't know this until I pulled this up, but our second string goalie is named Martin Jones. He had an up and down year. He, st- he stepped in for Grubauer a couple times when he was struggling. Yeah. Um, but wasn't otherworldly. So, yeah, might as well pull in a flyer. Now we technically have three goalies on the roster, and uh, we'll see if he sticks. Uh, yeah, hockey goalies are definitely a go with how they're feeling kind of thing. If they've been doing well, then just keep them in. Agreed. That's the, kind of the scary thing about Grubauer, too, is we have him on a big deal. He was awesome in the playoff last year, but he had an up-and-down regular season. He truly did. He got pulled a couple times, which I think is kind of par for the course with goalies. You Especially if they play so many games. It, it yeah, happens. you get pulled in and out. But uh, it'll be interesting to see. I hope he can come into next year on form. That'll be useful. Because like I said, particularly in that last round against uh, the Stars, he was carrying our defense. Our defense was doing him no favors. Um, and he put on a pretty Herculean effort. Yeah. Um, like me, choosing that word. That was a Herculean word choice. Really proud of you, buddy. Thanks, buddy. It's a big day. <laughs> I'm a seltzer in. Uh, with that, we are going to take a quick break, and we'll come back and talk a little, little Mariners, sadly. This episode is brought to you by Kirkland Brand Seltzers. Are you too poor or too trashy to drink White Claw? Or are you just an economist? Either way, do we have the seltzer for you. All the delicious flavor with those sweet, sweet Costco benefits. Kirkland Brand Seltzer. Welcome back, folks. And I apologize for uh, what's going to be pretty melancholy. Every time we've had a discussion about our, our boys in blue um, I have been the sad, moping participant, and Tyler has been an optimist. He's been a ray of light in an otherwise dark, cloudy sky. Um, but it's time to talk about the Mariners. When we left off our last podcast, uh, the Mariners had lost their first game in a three-game series against the Yankees on the 20th of June. Uh, and we talked about their upcoming, big upcoming series against the Yankees, obviously, and then the Orioles uh, before playing the lowly Nationals. And we said we needed to win one of the two series against the Yankees and Orioles, and then obviously clean up against the bad Nationals. Uh, we went one and, th- uh, one and two in all three series, um, losing three consecutive series after a brief uh, good stretch. And it's only going to get harder from here, too. Correct. Correct. Our upcoming series is against the Rays. That's a three-gamer. Then we then have three against the Giants, then the Astros, uh, Tigers, and Twins. Uh, so some pretty competent teams coming up. Some hypothetically big series against uh, Houston, particularly. But uh, the Mariners are now 38-41, and 41, uh, fourth in the AL West. Well, tell me what you're feeling, Tyler. Your eyes, they look hopeless. You look you look like you've lost a family member. How are you feeling? Um, not good. I don't feel great. I think the first thing that I want to talk about is that the team doesn't feel like it has any like heart when it comes to a close game. You think I, I'm thinking specifically of the Nationals game a couple days ago where and I think we recorded while this game was happening, and we were like, oh, it's 4-2 to two right now. We're totally chilling. And, of course, we weren't. 
Um, they were not children. <laughs> so they go into extras. It's four to four. And we Topa has a great outing. He, he doesn't allow a run in the top of the 10th. And in the bottom of the 10th, we have Colton Wong starting on second base. Our leadoff guy in JP gets intentionally walked. Julio works a walk. We have no outs with the bases loaded. And Ty France, Teoscar Hernandez, and Cal Raleigh are coming up to the plate. All you need is a sacrifice fly. Or even just like a ground ball up the middle that they can't throw to home. Like anything. Literally so many things. Yeah. <laughs> Besides a pop-out, strikeout, and a weak ground ball to the pitcher, which are the three things that happened. All on pitches that were borderline strikes. Teoscar's was brutal. He struck out on a pitch that was a foot out of the zone. Ty's, was, Ty's pop-up was on a 2-2 pitch inside where he, that was off the plate. and He swung and got a pop-up that didn't even go into fair territory, I believe. And then Cal on a 2-0 pitch, check swung on a, something that wasn't really close, and it light ground ball to the pitcher. All that is to say, the heart of our order is not hitting in the way that we thought they would be. And when that doesn't happen, you get games where you score at max four runs against the, the Nationals. Uh, you get games where you face, or you get series against the Yankees where you score one and two runs in the first two games. And obviously, we have our offensive outbreaks when, you know, two of our five best hitters do well. But when Teoscar's struggling, when Ty's struggling, our, oh my God, we had a game against the Nationals yesterday when we're recording this on Thursday, the 29th of June. And the Mariners made Patrick Corbin look like the best pitcher of all time. He went seven scoreless, and he's been the worst pitcher in all of baseball for the last two years. I don't know what's been happening with the team, but they really need to take a look at where they're at and if they can actually make the playoffs because it, this team doesn't seem like it has the heart and doesn't seem like it has the desire to play with the level of intensity that they played with the last couple of years that made them a lovable team. That is certainly part of it. There's no no doubt about that. Um, they don't have the same pluck they have the last couple of years. I also think, unfortunately, this is an example of water finding its level in terms of this Mariners offense. And I'm not just talking about this year or last year. I'm talking about the last, like, five years. The Mariners have put together league average or better offenses with lineups that you look at and struggle to find the high-end talent. And I know a lot of Mariners fans in my lives, and they, they love these guys, and they explain a lot of it away. Um, but the fact of the matter is... Ty France is okay. He's just okay. He's like slightly above average, I would say. As a as a pure hitter, slightly above average. As a first baseman, okay. He's okay. Okay, I will take that. And the Mariners have a lot of those guys. They have a lot of them. They have young talent, and they have okay vets. They don't have anybody this year that I would say is particularly exciting. Julio is fighting through a sophomore slump. And I honestly really like the way that Julio's been playing. Mm -hmm. I would he, agree. He is bringing, he's not necessarily bringing the same energy as last year, but it's hard when now you're heaped with expectation and the team is underperforming. It's not as fun as being the overachieving team, but he is working. There's no doubt about that. And, you know, his stats are down, but sophomore slumps happen. Um, Kelnick, I really like, you know, He's not ready to be a leader. He's not ready to bring the energy. He's learning. 
He's yeah. also going through a phase right now where the pitchers have adjusted and he needs to make that adjustment back and he's been struggling. Absolutely. He's got he's getting that freshman slump that you do see, you know. He was having a great start to the year. People made adjustments. Yeah. Um I'm not worried about him in the long term, but I absolutely don't expect a ton from him this year. He's a rookie. That's how it works. Um and I am just I have been and I continue to be really unimpressed with everyone else for this offense and I really think they overperformed last year in a lot of ways part of that was the energy they brought and part of it was you know baseball's a little fluky sometimes and I think because of that the Mariners didn't address the offense the way they should have in the offseason instead committing more and more to you know what is still a really good pitching staff where they've gotten a little unlucky this year with injuries but uh yeah, I think this is a wake-up call in terms of team building. Um, and it's a wake-up call in terms of what this team is missing. And what this team is missing is on-base guy. They, they don't have either thing. They don't have enough of the really good on-base guys without power. They don't have enough, you know, of the Dexter Fowler types. I was going to say Ichiro, but that, we were just talking about it. That's too much. They don't have enough Dexter Fowler types. They also don't have enough Kyle Schwarber types, guys with, you know, batting in the 260s, 270s, but bringing a ton of power. They don't have either of those things on this team. What they have is a bunch of guys batting between 250 and 280 without much power. That's pretty stagnant. I'm sorry. This has been a monologue, but I've been feeling this way for a couple of years. No, I, I understand that. I think the first thing you said when you started talking was the, the water finding its level. And in my mind, the first thing that clicked with that was their record in one-run games. Mm. The last two seasons, yes, they've yes. been amazing at winning close games. That's a really good call. And this season, they're 11-15, and 15, which is not awful when you think about it. Yeah. But the last two seasons, they were 10 games over 500 when you think about one-run games. Like, if not, is, that, is it only 10? They were, last year, they had an unbelievable one-run game record. I'm just saying at least. Like, in my head, there's at least that. And so if we were to get on that pace, we're halfway through the season— you know, we switch around five of those games and we'd be 42 and 37 instead of 37 and 41 or whatever it is that we are right now. So yeah, that might even be a little bit of an over. That's where you're talking about the kind of heart comes into it to some degree. There's obviously some semblance of luck in there too, but yeah, they were, they were truly unbelievable last year. Put all the heart aside, they got a little lucky. I really think they were winning two or three to one of the one run games. Um, And this year it's, it's below what you'd expect. So Yeah. Well, and you think that comes into play when you have Penn Murphy get injured, you have Matt Festa struggling at the beginning of the season and getting sent down, Andres Munoz going down with an injury. Mm. Paul Sewald has been our only consistent reliever. Matt Brash has struggled a ton with Babbitt Luck, and eventually that just is what it is. You can't blame it on the Babbitt Luck anymore. Uh, so I think our one-run game diff- or like win total is uh, – is something to look to and say, hey, we were relying on this a little too much. And I think the front office, whether they want to admit it or not, they were relying on our relievers to be great, amazing, and have one of the best bullpens in all of baseball. And I still think we do, by the guys that we have, they're just injured. Like, we just have Correct. had pretty bad luck. Correct. Obviously, I think there's been some discussion about Brian Wu taking some or throwing less pitches in the rest of the season. We just DFA'd Chris Flexen. Marco Gonzalez just got another two-week injury IL stint. Um, 
And that's, that's a big part of it. The pitching has been very up and down in terms of actual game performance. The runs allowed per game mm-hmm. has been fluctuating pretty wildly. And that, I don't think, speaks as much to our talent at that position. You're right. That, there's some unluck there. And our record would be better if those guys were healthy. Our offense, you know, we might be able to swallow the offense better if, if the pitching was as elite as we think it can be. But it doesn't change the fact that other than a sophomore and a rookie, we don't have a single exciting offensive player. Yeah. If only somebody had suggested trading a little pitching depth for an amazing, exciting, young hitting prospect out of Cincinnati. Um, Shut up. <laughs> I wanted to mention something, and this is something you sent me. Tyler's my, uh, I don't have Twitter. John's Twitter guy. Yeah, so he sends me all the important Mariners tweets. And this was on Monday, so a couple of games ago. But And once again, I don't want to speak to this as like, oh, the Mariners are fine, don't worry. But it does speak to, as you were saying, the lack of luck in one-run games and how baseball can be kind of weird. Um, the Marlins this season through 79 games scored 316 runs and allowed 331. So it's a negative runs allowed differential. Um, and they were 45 and 34. So that is an example a little more like we were last year of a team at least being tough in tight games. Yankees through 78, scored 339, and gave up 316, so a little above positive, and they were 43 and 35 right there. And the Mariners through 76 games scored 340 runs and allowed 316. So almost identical to the Yankees, and we were 37 and 39 at the time. So, um, you know... I don't even know why I'm giving that stat. I don't think it's overly encouraging to me with this roster build, but there's some built-in, you know, kind of a factor of, of doubt in there. Mm. And we've talked about this a little bit, uh, but when we win, and when, like the last couple games that we have won, I'm looking at our Yankees, Orioles, and National Series, we won a game by eight runs, we won a game by 12 runs, and we won a game by four runs, mm. and the rest of the games were close, tight losses. Yes. And so in that regard, when we win, we are winning because everything is clicking all at once. Otherwise, nothing is happening. Yep. And I don't know what, what to do about that. Should we move the fences in? Do we need to talk about that? Should we talk about how we can change the way that our offense is run and makes T-Mobile Park an actual advantage for us? Because our pitchers can pitch well. Like they, they don't allow deep fly balls nearly as much as we hit deep fly balls that get caught two feet from the wall. Correct. That could be something that we adjust in the upcoming season to make hitters maybe want to come back. Can you do that? How often do teams just move their walls around? I mean, the Orioles did it over the last season. They moved left field back, I believe, to make it harder to hit. We should move it all in. We should have... Just like five feet in. That's all you need. Let's move them 30 feet in. (laughs) I want it to be T-ball out there. Um, Real quick, to that stat, I was just... I looked back even further, and I thought it was so interesting because you talked about through the Yankees and Orioles games. So, working backwards from there, starting with the White Sox, we won by four, lost by one. One by one, lost by three. One by six, one by seven, lost by five. One by four, lost by one. We just, on trend, you're right. We're losing the close ones and we're winning big, which I guess would explain that positive run differential and negative record. But uh, that's frustrating. I don't like what that happens. It really is. 
Uh, I think what it, what it all boils down to is consistency, and I think the Mariners this season have not been consistent in any way. Eugenio Suarez is hitting like 215, and he was supposed to be our power bat, and he's hit, I don't even know, is it 10 home runs right now? Like he's, I don't even, I don't even think he's at ten. It's not particularly impressive. Um, Tay Oscar has been kind of on a tear recently, and he's hitting now two fifty. Like he was hitting two twenty at the beginning of June. Tay Oscar has been solid. Yeah, Eugenio is eight on the year. Yeah. Um. So our guys that we were expecting to, at, at well, not expecting, we were hoping to stay stagnant at least in their production levels. Most of them have regressed, and that's not something that you can prepare for necessarily. But you can have a safeguard that's not AJ Pollock, Tommy Listella, and Colton Wong. Yeah, the fact that our our power bat has three less home runs than our struggling rookie <laughs> is problematic. Um, yeah, I think I think it's a matter of talent. I think we've talked about this too, and there's no fixing this. I think it speaks to cheap ownership and and uh, lack of desire to fork out a little cash to bring in some more offensive bats. Um, they've been good about building the pitching staff, but it seems to be one or the other with this group. Um, man, I would just, I just want just two guys. Give me two guys that I'm really excited about, and I'd be all the way back in. Um, yeah, I, I'm sad. I'm sad that you're sad. I am surprised just because how excited I was coming out of last year, but if you would have told me going into last year what this would have been, I would not have been surprised because this is kind of what I thought this offense was. Yeah, one just like kind of kind of final note on the sad end, and then I want to say one happy thing potentially. Please. Uh, it's not fun to watch the Mariners play baseball right now. I don't want to turn the game on and, an and watch point. them. I'm and so I, used to you always having the game on with the speakers on, and at least when you've been doing it re- recently, you typically have the game muted. Yeah. You know? um, you're right. They were so fun last year. And part of that is expectation. The fact that they were, you know, that amazing run they went on was a big part of it. That was right about this time. I think they were 29 and 39 and then went on that 14-game win streak before the All-Star break. Yeah. But this is right. That was right now. We're officially worse than we were last year. Yeah, we are. We have lost six of our last nine. So that is not what we're up to right now. Um, you're right. I would, like, I would like to see them fun again. Make the Mariners fun again. Let's print hats. Um, all that is to say, if this year we took a year off of spending to sign Shohei Otani for $80 million a year. Oh my God. A hundred million dollars a year. Get that man in. I saw, I saw this like ESPN, like potential deal that was like three years, $300 million for Shohei Otani. And I was like, would I do that right now? I might do that right now. (laughs) I, yeah, I don't think, I don't think he cares enough about being the next Ichiro to do that. To not go to LA or somewhere else, but uh, damn, that would be nice. Ah, yep. Him and Julio, <laughs> shit. Um, that is that's a good place to end it. Let's end our on, with that. End on a little little high note. Yeah, there is much like a bear attack. The the odds aren't high, but they're never zero. <laughs> that Shohei could come to Seattle. I like that. Um. Do you want to just hop into kind of a, a last and final segment? I don't. Let me let me pull up the time. How, how we're long doing we good. Going? We got we're at thirty six minutes. I Look want to us. talk a little college basketball. Yeah. Do you want to talk Zags first? Do you want me to go UW and then we can, or we could do a quick Washington State discussion 
just to get that out of the way. Why don't we start with the two state schools and then I'll finish with a little private talk. Deal. Sounds good. Um, so really the only news that I have for the Washington State basketball team is that... Uh, Bad news. It's not good news. Uh, DJ Rodman, Dennis Rodman's son, entered the transfer portal and decided to commit to USC with Bronny James. So he will be in the Pac-12 at a new school, which is a little disappointing if you're a Washington State basketball fan. But very much so not surprising. Um, he's a talented player, um, and Washington State is bad. Booty, one might say. They're bad, and if he wants to make the league, you don't want to be in Washington State. Absolutely not. He's, he might even be using USC as a jumping board to an even higher uh, program. Uh, you know, he's not, you know, he's not an all-world kind of player. Um, I don't think he's got a great chance of making the league, but... Yeah, if he wants a chance, he cannot do it at Washington State. Not mm. with the roster they've built and not with the Pac-12 in the state that it's in. Um, he either needs to be on the best team in the Pac-12 or he needs to get his ass to the Big 12 as fast as he can. Um, DJ, I think that's funny. It's, it's Dennis Rodman Jr., but <laughs> I, I love when people add, add the J for Jr. and then pretend it's a whole new name. Um, um, one more note on the Washington team before we can move on past him. Um, they TJ Bomba transferred, and then... They lost their starting back backcourt from the 2022-2023 season. Both of them. Yeah. So it's just not looking great for their team. They're going to be a bunch of new faces, which is kind of how we've seen college basketball recently. It's a lot of rotating guys. Sure. But um, they were already really bad, and they've lost their three best players. Mm. I Prediction time. Washington State will finish last in the Pac-12 this year. That's basketball. a hot take. Colorado's bad. Well, let's see it. Yeah. Well, I would say bottom three. When Washington State comes and plays at altitude, those games are automatic losses. So <laughs> it, it might be a home-and-home home situation. Uh, God, this is just not a happy podcast episode so far, really. Oh, wait, we'll finish on a high note. Don't okay, good, good, good. Um, in terms of University of Washington basketball news, um, P.J. Fuller has joined the Detroit Mercy. So lost P.J. Fuller. Uh, but we are we did get a we did add a Nebraska big man who let me pull up his his stat page. Um, Wilhelm Breidenbach has uh, he's a, he's a goggle wearer. It's pretty it's pretty amazing. He's he look he's a good looking guy. Um, he joined. He's not going to be our starting center, I believe, because uh, Kepnang will be returning, and he's just like a big athletic guy who took who took a knee injury at the start of last season. So he'll be back. And he's more of a presence down low than I think Braxton Mia was. Uh, we also got Nate Calmes, Calmes um, who transferred to Washington, and he's more of a scoring scoring guard. And it'll be nice to have him next to Brooks and Kepnang, who will be able to kind of run the big the big three on offense. Um, and then additionally, we have been in, or there was kind of a, a Twitter post that was in discussion between Mike Hopkins and Larry Brown, I believe is his name who was uh, he was a coach. He's been a coach for the last, like, four decades. He's 82. He's been around for a while. He led the Detroit Pistons, the 2004 title, um, and has been involved at UCLA, SMU, and Kansas. And he won the 1988 title with the Jayhawks. Um, he was a coach at Memphis last season for and assisted Penny Hardaway. And so he's, he might just be a really good guy to have around the club in terms of keeping the, the morale high, especially as Mike Hopkins potentially loses his job you know <laughs> so um potentially some signs pointing up i think for uw right now uh still waiting to see if we can get anybody else with that, that are big names but it's not looking not looking too bad 
well, at least there's that. Yeah, Wazoo's in a tough spot. You know, I think they're pretty committed to football. Um, UW, man, no excuse. I almost said something really mean about Wazoo there. I'm oh, not going to nice do it. Nice catch, nice catch. Put your bias aside. We're all Washington. <laughs> um, okay, time to finish this pod on a high note. Yes. Um, Start high, go a little low, and then finish high. Please stop me when I've been talking for too long about Gonzaga. So I just wanted to reiterate, we talked about this a little bit before, but uh, this Zag team, which was very good, um, entered the tournament as a three seed, I believe, and lost in the Elite Eight to the eventual national champion, uh, UConn Huskies. No shame there. Uh, We lost a lot. We lost Hunter Salas, sophomore. Uh, He left and committed to Wake Forest. It's a big loss. I loved Hunter. I loved him more than Hickman all year. Um, but few didn't play him, and that's on few. I love few like a brother, um, and I don't question him often. But his inability to play Malachi and Hunter, uh, I think, has hurt this team in this offseason. Drew Timmy's gone, obviously. He left. He went undrafted in the draft, but he did sign a deal with the Milwaukee Bucks uh, where he will take Giannis Antetokounmpo's starting job within the next six months. Rasir Bolton left. He ran out of eligibility fairly well. Love him to death. And Dom Harris <laughs> transferred uh, to Loyola Marymount. Uh, that was tough. He was a really talented player coming in, and he never really had a chance. Um, injuries hurt him for a couple years, and then not a lot of opportunity. He's another guy I would have liked to see a little more, but uh, I can't blame him for leaving. The reason I giggled is he had one of the funniest transfer things I've seen recently where he transferred to BYU That's and right. went to Provo and posted on an Instagram on Instagram a picture of him in all BYU gear including like BYU like chains and just like it was whack and then like four hours later decommitted to BYU and committed to Loyola uh, I think he's a California kid so uh, certainly can't blame him but it did make me crack up uh, we lost Afton Reed he never played so can't blame him either he's going to Wake Forest Julian Strother got drafted 29 he went to the Nuggets uh, it'll be interesting to see if him or Jokic average more points per game this year and Malachi Smith went undrafted but did sign with the Portland Trailblazers I was thinking when he went undrafted I was just like Malachi man why didn't you just come back but he signed with the Blazers so um if it was that or backing up Noel Hickman, I can't really blame him either. Anton is coming back. That was the big one we weren't sure about, uh, and we are very excited to see him. Hickman is back, and will try to earn my trust. Uh, and Ben Gregg uh, will move into that starting s- center slot. It'll be interesting then, you know, we fall off a little bit on our returning roster, but Caden Perry is a 6'9 sophomore. He didn't get much of a chance. I'd like to see more of him. Um, and Brandon Huff, a 6'10", a freshman last year, uh, hardly ever played. It'll be exciting to see if he can step into more of a big role. But we've had an awesome offseason in terms of transfers and commitments. Ryan Nemhard out of Creighton, six foot sophomore, ranked as the number two point guard in the transfer portal. A great shooter, a great passer. Feels Mac- like a really pure point guard. Super pure, and a master of the pick and roll. Um, I'm hoping we move Hickman to the bench because starting him and Nemhard would be a pretty small uh, backcourt, six foot and six two. Um, but we will see what happens there. 
regardless, super excited for Nemhard. A consummate professional, a pure college point guard. And he came for the same reason Andrew came. He's going to try to make a run with this team and be good enough to get a shot at the league. So um, optimistic for that. We got Graham Ike uh, out of, where did he play? I think he played for Idaho. Yeah, the Idaho Cowboys. Um, 6'9", sophomore, athletic, talented, 20 and 10 guy. Obviously in a, a lower tier league, but I like him a lot. We got Steel Venters, 6'7", redshirt sophomore. Averaged 15 points for Eastern Washington and was a really true shooter. So excited for him to probably come off the bench as a kind of a scoring wing. But the big two I wanted to talk about um, that I'm really excited about is our two incoming freshman recruits, uh, Dustin Stromer out of California and Young Suk Yo out of South Korea. Dusty Stromer is a 6'6 guard with Damian Lillard range. Are you sure this guy's not a male stripper? Dusty Stromer. <laughs> I'd go to that show. Um, he's just just a nasty shooter. Who can handle? I know he's a freshman. Is he small? How big is he? He's 6'6". Wow. 6'6", and he's athletic. The guy can throw down. Um, I would love for him to slot in next to Nemhard as our starting two guard. That would be that would be great to have Nemhard, who's like a seasoned vet, yeah. can run it, and then just like calm that guy down if he next ever gets out of whack. <laughs> I completely agree. I will see. Few doesn't like to start freshmen, but I really, really am excited for Stromer. Um, I think he played at Sierra Canyon. Um, I know he's a California guy. No, no, no. He played in Notre Dame High School, but was really, really good. He uh, Here, one second. I had his stats pulled up. He averaged, yeah, 16 points a game, five rebounds a game, two steals a game. That's really good in high school. Yeah, at like a high-level California high school. Yeah. Um, and tr- like one of those unlimited range guys. Like the college three is not going to be a problem for him at all. So he is like the – he's coming and he's going to be good. How good he's going to be, we'll see, but I'm certain he's going to be good. Young Suck Yo is going to be way more interesting. Uh, I do not know how comfortable he is with English. I do not know if it's going to be a uh, Rui Hachimura situation. He might have to register the whole year just to acclimate to the culture and the language. I, I don't know. Maybe he speaks better English than me. Maybe he can slot in right away. But um, I don't want to get overly optimistic about him this year. But he is a good talent. He is a 6'8 forward who can shoot, who can pass, He's a three-level scorer, has a nasty mid-range. He's really, really good. At the under-19 World Cup in Latvia, so playing against the best young players in the world, he led the tournament in scoring at 26 a game, along with 11 rebounds, two steals, two assists, and a block and a half. Um, He is a talent. He is a rare talent. Um, he is going to try to make the league. Whether or not, you know, just based on the change in competition as well as coming from a completely different culture, like I said, there's a chance he doesn't step foot on the court this year. There's also a chance that he plays this year immediately, that he could start at the Julian slot for us immediately and balance the offense with Nemhard as the two focal points of our offense. Uh, I'm really excited about him. The, the other side of that is he's 6'8", so 
if he's trying to make the NBA, which it sounds like he's got the skill to, but that would have to be in the small forward role, probably. Like Absolutely. most power forwards are bigger than that at that point. Absolutely. And that's where he would have to learn to play at Gonzaga, I think. Absolutely. He's a little slight to play forward. Um, Julian, I believe, is 6'6 six, six or 6'7, six, so comparable size and role for in terms of how both of them play. Yeah. Um, and with, we kind of, we have a, we don't need him at guard with Hickman, Stromer, and uh, Nemhard. And we don't need him really at center or forward with, I mean, Venter's a 6'7", but is much beefier. Graham Ike is a true power forward. And obviously we've got Anton and Ben Gregg, who arguably both should start. Um, so there's no room for him in the front court. We need him at the three. That's where we have a need. And I think, as you're saying, that's where he fits most naturally on this team and if he wants to make the league. So um, whether or not that's this year, we'll see. Um, I really, I don't, I don't know, but he's really good. And I'm pumped. I'm excited. We got him. Nobody's talking about him. Talk about this guy. Um, and that's, that was quite a rant, but that's, that's all I have to say. On this that was 10 minutes on that. Just, just letting you go, man. I that know was, you're ready. Thousand <laughs> words a minute. Don't put a timer on me. Um, yeah, that's, kind of a wrap on this episode i know we didn't get to anything super important i feel like there wasn't anything super crazy going on but we're kind of looking ahead and looking back at what was this really weird mariner season that will likely not go anywhere correct and you know this, it's good to touch base on a couple things because upcoming we might do a couple more kind of fun more thoughtful episodes as opposed to news-based episodes so mm. just to give you guys an idea of where the seattle sports scene is sitting currently um as we go forward with so maybe some more fun stuff. Yeah. Um, I guess a little programming note. We'll, we'll tell you what we got coming next week. We've got a Seattle sports draft, basically. Like Seattle sports figure draft. We've got John and I making six picks each. Are you releasing this one first? Yeah, this is coming first. This oh. is coming tonight or tomorrow. Oh, that's so funny. I thought I thought Bale was coming first. Yeah, yeah so I mean, we've already recorded a very fun podcast. Yeah, that's coming out next week. So it's all-time Seattle sports figures draft. My six against his six. And let me tell you, Tyler started strong, but uh, we'll just wait for the finish. Um, some other things that we might have cooking. A little just like all-time great Seattle sports trades discussion. Like what with that uh, MLB trade deadline coming up, we might get into that a little bit. That's a great idea. There, we've, we've thrown a couple good ones around. I think... It'd be interesting. We'd probably have to do fame and infamy, like yep. five best, five worst trades ever in Seattle. Yep. Um, that'll be fun. That'll be a good one. Um, yeah, another thing we talked about Felix, obviously, in the draft and about his most recent perfect game. Okay, and so then... I meant to talk about this. <laughs> so I, yeah, because I thought you'd already released the last episode. No. Uh, and now I wish you had. I swear to God, we recorded this draft like two days ago. The next day, we were talking about how Felix had the last perfect game in 2012, 11 years ago. And the next <laughs> day, uh, Graham... D Domingo Herman. Uh, Domingo Herman for the Yankees. Who the Mariners lit up a couple weeks ago. Correct. Through the 24th perfect, perfect game in MLB history. Which, all it is to say, we are the immortal jinx of the Mariners. Correct. So, who knows what just happened after we had this podcast? That was unbelievable. I would also like, I'm going to submit to the MLB that we revoke his perfect game because it happened against the Athletics. That shouldn't count. Ten guys are going to throw perfect games against the Athletics this year. 
That was so insane. He's also, I was looking at his stats, he is not that good. No, he's not good. <laughs> he's got like a 5-2 ERA on the year. It was kind of like, a. you remember Mark Burley threw that perfect game in 09? Yeah, it's kind of yeah. like that, where it was like, does this guy, like, why did he throw a perfect game? What was special about this guy? But the fact that, like, you just can't do it against the Athletics. Yeah. God damn it, the it Athletics. The 24th game in history. This is another fun thing for you. The MLB has existed for just under... 200 years 200 years 24 perfect games have been thrown that's about one every 10 years and we just saw one yesterday by a mediocre pitcher the day after we recorded a podcast about the last perfect game so you know what's another crazy note is obviously that stat is one every 10 years in 2012 there were three when felix the year felix did it there, there was two three? other ones before his happened that season I don't remember that. Who are yeah. the other two? I don't have it off the top of my head, but... Oh, that's crazy. Roy Halladay, I know, threw one in 2010. So, like, in that three-year stretch, there was four. And so... Well, there must have been five. 2009, 2010, and... Yeah. And three in 2012. Oh, well, it's been a cold stretch up until now. Some crazy stats for you. Right, we'll see if we can get six more against the A's this year. <laughs> um... All that is to say, you have anything else left to, to talk about, John, or are we good? Oh, we're stretching it out. Let the people go home. Yep. If you enjoyed this episode of Sound Up Seattle, please feel free to give us a follow on Spotify. If you're listening, you already know where we are. Just shoot us a follow. Hit that follow button on Spotify. You can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at Sound Up Seattle, all lowercase, all one word. Uh, you can find me, Tyler, at Tycart50, everywhere that's important. You can find John drinking out of his very large REI water bottle uh, as we turn on the AC after we recorded this because it would have been too loud. Don't ask me what's in it. <laughs> Um, hey, we hope you have a good good weekend, good upcoming July 4th holiday, and please enjoy that next podcast coming up. We had a really great time recording it, and we look forward to hearing from you guys. It's going to be fun. I want feedback. Give us feedback. Um, and as always, go Zads. Go Huskies, baby. Is Costco going to sue us? <laughs> I mean, we gave them a free ad. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we talked it up at the end. I'm crazy. Um... All right, let's just hop into the Mariners. You want to do it? Are you feeling like a rest? Uh, no, let's hop in on the Mariners. All right. Yeah, we got to order our food sometime soon for, for dinner. Correct.